Welcome to the Forensic Nutritionist Podcast. My name is Fiona Tuck. I'm a nutritional medicine practitioner and a qualified skin therapist for over 25 years. The Forensic Nutritionist Podcast takes an investigative approach into all things nutrition, gut health and skin, using qualified experts to bring you information that you can trust. We are all unique. The information presented herein is not intended to diagnose, to treat or cure disease. Please seek professional medical guidance prior to modifying any diet, exercise or lifestyle program. Let us begin. On the podcast today, we have Ange Sinclair. Now, Ange is a naturopath, a qualified nutritionist, and is also known as the digestive detective. So Ange does have a very special interest in digestive disorders. And today we're going to be talking about SIBO. But before we get right into that, Ange, can you tell us a little bit about how did you get to become the digestive detective? Hi, Fiona, thanks for having me. Um, I have suffered from uh, chronic constipation for basically my entire life and I was tired of going to the doctor and having them say there's nothing you can do, food doesn't impact it when I know that not to be true. Right. And looking back now, SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, that was the cause of my issues. Right. And how did you find that out? Well, just symptomatically and I've, and I've, had, I've tested myself so over the time so um, that's the biggest way. And how long did it take you to find that out? Well, probably, SIBO's probably only been around for the last five or six years, perhaps. Yeah. So um, I always knew there was something wrong because as a small child, I always had um, lots of bloating and for just even drinking water and stuff. So, you know, it was, it was pretty predictable when I knew it. I was like, oh, now I know what it is. That's really interesting. So for those people that don't know, because I'm sure there's a lot of people that, that are out there that have got digestive issues mm. like yourself, can you um, explain what exactly is SIBO? So SIBO is where there is a translocation of the bacteria from the large bowel to the small bowel. We do have bacteria in our small bowel, but in really smaller numbers. So what happens is somehow something sets it off and then um, we get the bacteria up in our small intestines and then that causes us problem because when we eat, um, we also have, when we eat, we, ha we have a, a a complex in our small intestines called the migrating motor complex. So what that does is every 90 minutes it flicks through and pushes out all the food that's left there to stop the bacteria from being able to um, overgrow and, and feed on all that excess food. So what happens when you have SIBO, that migrating motor complex, something happens to it and they don't actually know what yet, but it goes off the rails and doesn't work effectively. So instead of that cleaning broom coming through every 90 mm. minutes, we get the food sitting there and then that causes um, fermentation of the food that's gone in and and that's where most people have problems then you'll get bloating with a drink of water um, you know other pain that comes associated with that as well so that's the main things interesting and constipation can be a side of constipation well. diarrhea or alternation so 80% of people who have IBS have SIBO um, and which that's pretty well documented now um, so yeah so if you have an IBS it's best to try and get that out because if you can reduce that bacteria you can get better bowel motions and better um, you know better digestion throughout your whole system absolutely and it's I mean we all need bacteria yeah. um, and there is going to be as you said a, a little bit of bacteria there naturally yeah. so it's not necessarily that it's bad bacteria no. and I think that's a common misconception that mm. with SIBO it's just an overgrowth of the bad 
bacteria. But it could be the good bacteria that's just in the wrong place. Correct, correct. Really, really um, a fascinating subject, especially with so many people having IBS and probably not aware of um, the fact that they may have SIBO. So are there any causes that we know of that would perhaps trigger SIBO? There are generally any sort of abdominal surgery because that changes the layout of the land. For example, if you have your gallbladder out, um, that can cause adhesions uh, and then that changes your overall digestive structure. So once your structures change, that will change how the Absolutely. how your small intestine that processes things and bile production as well, which Correct. is also really important. Correct, and all those things and laparoscopes. Uh, I see lots of young girls that have laparoscopes that will um, change things. So once there's adhesions caused, it changes the structure, and then then it really affects how you're processing things. Other causes are over um, prescription of antibiotics, um, overconsumption of carbs. Um, huge stress like where a lot of people are under stress but constant um, stress all the time will make a difference um, and initial colonization so when you're born if you are um, c-section and not breastfed that can impact as well um, the other thing is from mother from mother to child and grandmother to mother that, that's implicated three generations back so if your grandmother yeah. has a problem and I see this all the time in clinic when I have a, somebody sitting in front of me this week I've had a 20 year old and she said oh my mum and my grandmother all have the same issues so it's very interesting to see it go back through the, the generations it's so, incredible yeah. and I also wonder with that and how much of that is diet related you know as in is it maybe what that particular family you know that they eat and what habits they get into because a lot of eating habits we learn from our parents and from grandparents as well no i'd agree i'd agree um although for me my family were my mum was very big on veg even back then we'd have 10 veg a night pretty much so but going back further possibly um and just depends on the anatomy that's you know the the microbiome that's shunted forward over the generation so I think that makes a difference as well Absolutely. but it's really fascinating to see that in patients that you know they've got a problem and so's their sister their brother their mother their grandmother um, their great-grandmother in some cases so that's fascinating I find it fascinating so if somebody thinks that they've got SIBO is that something that you would test for and what sort of tests are available yes Yes and no. Yeah, depending. Um, the test is expensive. There are there are three sorts of tests. There's a, um, a lactulose test or a lactulose and glucose test. So lactulose speeds up motility anyway when you take it as a substrate. Um, so I always advise the lactulose and glucose, which is three hundred dollar test. So I'm mm. very wary at giving that to everybody. Some people like to know the numbers. They like to know where they are and what number they are. So it's worth doing for those people. Um, knowing what you have and where it is doesn't really change how you treat it. Absolutely. Um, mm. Unless it's, you know, like me saying dominant means you're more likely to have constipation. Hydrogen dominant means you're more likely to have diarrhea. Um, I've seen um, numbers come back where it's been very high methane, yet the person has diarrhea. So the testing's not um, 100% foolproof. It gives us an idea, but symptoms really give you a good idea too. And with the testing and when that comes back, can that give you any further insight as to 
what the cause could be? Or it's still a little bit unknown? No, it's still probably unknown. Most people you can work it out. Um, the one I missed out actually was post-infectious um, gastroenteritis. Yep. So if you, if you have a, if you have, like I had a lady recently who had, um, she'd had diarrhea for 10 years and it was just getting to the point where it was unbearable. That's why she was seeking help. And I said to her, did you ever have food poisoning those 10 mm. years ago? And she said, oh my God, I did. And she could pinpoint the exact day that it happened to her. So it's, it's reasonably common um, for people to know, well, I've had this happen and I've never been well since. Yep. So that's pretty I, I see that yeah. a lot, yeah. actually. I see that a lot. Um, saying that when we, you know, if somebody does have SIBO, there does seem to be, a, you know, a couple of different approaches that different practitioners take when it comes to actually treating SIBO. Um, and some of those treatments can be a little bit controversial mm -hmm. as well. And, and I even question some of them. And I know we probably think quite, quite alike when it comes to SIBO. But what do you think when... Um, people are treating SIBO, do you think there's a one particular set protocol that works the best? No, no. It, I think for lots of people, the standard practice is now, we put you on a diet that's hideously awful. Yeah. Um, I call it the no joy diet. Exactly, um, I call it the same thing, yeah, so, the miserable diet. Yeah, so it's terrible. And my thing is, I want people to love food. Food is what joy brings most people joy. Um, so it's about getting your gut right and in the right working in the right order so if you um, tend to have IBS or a pathogen or anything it means that something in the chains broken whether it's you're not chewing enough or you're not um, making enough hydrochloric acid or things you've lost your migrating motor complex so it's good to go back and find out what the cause is to start because if you can't fix the cause you can't fix the problem Absolutely. Um, and for some people, there is no fixing the cause, so then we just manage the problem as best we can. Because if you've got adhesions from having five laparoscopes and you've had your gallbladder out um, and you've had an emergency caesar, you're covered in adhesions. So then we would be looking at getting you visceral manipulation and those sorts of things. So that's probably one of the places to start. Work backwards and find out, well, what happened to get me here um, with the diet? Um, I actually think there is a chance to do diet and food together. I'm not as restrictive in diets because I've had vegetarian where that diet's really geared towards meat eaters. Um, and I've had some people that have come to me that said, I've been to a practitioner and they told me I have to eat meat. Well, that's not a feasible thing if they're eating um, mm. vegetarian because they are respectful of animals. Well, getting them to eat meat's not helpful. And why would they have told them to eat meat? Well, because... The thing with the diet is they're cutting out lots of carbohydrates right. and fermentable substrates. So when you're vegetarian, that's all you eat, essentially. Absolutely. Um, so if they're getting you to eat meat and eggs and fish and those sorts of things, there's not nothing's fermentable there. So that's the reason they do it. Right. Um, so I do use that. So we're talking more sort of low carbohydrate. Low, yeah, yeah, or FODMAPs. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. go to FODMAPs. And I see FODMAPs totally abused as well. You know, FODMAPs is a short-term diet for 8 to 12 yeah. weeks and then you reintroduce stuff. I get people coming who've been on FODMAPs for three, four yeah. years and that just decimates yeah. your gut health. I've, I've seen it too. Yeah. Um, we're actually going to do a whole episode on FODMAP for yeah. that that reason because yeah. I've seen it abused, but I've seen it work very well for people that follow it yeah. follow it correctly. And I think that's true. I think it's good to do short term and then do gut healing along the way and then come back to reintroducing stuff because there'll always be... Um, 
attitude changes to people with food when they're on a restricted diet so long they become fearful of food and then once they become fearful of food they don't want to reintroduce it i see lots of people that eat five foods mm. they're that restricted and, and that's problematic um for many aspects of many. your life your emotional your physical you're gonna um, get nutrient depletion yeah. not enough prebiotic which yeah. we know is but even not enough joy yeah. you're constantly in fear which physiologically is sending all these um auto um, inflammatory cascades soaring around your body it's not helping you get better you know your body's designed to be in a relaxed state and and those sorts of things so that's not going to happen when you're in constant fear of what you're putting in your mouth i i totally agree with you and i see it time and time again and and people really are they've been told to avoid a certain food and then they think they can't ever eat it it again and i think that's something that's really important to to clarify Mm. that just because you may be told to go off a food for a certain period of time it doesn't mean to say that you can never eat it again no i agree and and look i've had some people who relapse um and that's because they've gone back onto eating pasta and pizza and having their red wine over and over every night, which is not, you know, that that part of your digestion becomes your weak point. So you need to really educate yourself and take care of yourself around that. Sure, you can have pasta occasionally, but it wouldn't be an every night thing um, for me. Or you can have a red wine occasionally, but it wouldn't be an every night thing. Um, so getting people to realize their limitations and their body's limitations really helps them heal and you know i never say you can never have that again because i think that's an impossible thing and then you want it too right you do (laughs) you can't help yourself yeah that's very true absolutely and now i know some practitioners when they're treating SIBO they're you know some approaches can be quite harsh Mm. and in a way i i can't get my head around it you know, it can be about knocking out all of the bacteria. And in a way, I understand why that might be the case to try and start again. Mm. But if you're knocking out the bacteria with strong antibiotics or really strong herbs even, mm. in my mind, you know, what, what could happen is that you're knocking out potentially bad bacteria, but also good bacteria. Yeah. And the ones that are going to survive that are probably going to be the strongest ones that are going to be the hardest to treat. So mm. then when you do start reintroducing foods, you can get even a more of a worse imbalance. Yeah, I agree. And I've seen that happen too. Mm. So what are your thoughts on that? So probably for me, the biggest thing I do is I feed the bacteria as yep. I go, not necessarily with probiotics. I tend not to use probiotics with for most people. Um, with SIBO because I do see people get exponentially worse on probiotics Um, which makes sense right? yeah it does I tend to um, give people uh, a 60-day plan and for 10 days we do killing then 10 days we do feeding 10 days we do killing 10 days we do feeding and so on Um, they might need longer than that but most and, and I sort of get them to do a modified version of the diet so I don't make them stay on it six to eight weeks. I, as soon as your bloating reduces, we move to the next step. Right. Uh, because I think then that gives you um, a lot at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, it, it just frees up your headspace to be able to continue with it's, the treatment. It's got to be manageable because yeah. otherwise people give up. Yeah. You know, I see it time and time again. People hop to different practitioners looking for a magic pill yeah. or a magic solution yeah. and it doesn't work. And then they become more and more, more and more miserable. So when you say you go through a period of, um, you know, killing, if you like, and then feeding, Mm. what would that involve? 
So basically, it's herbal antimicrobials, yep. uh, dietary changes. Um, so would that be reducing sort of the prebiotic? So re reducing the fermentable carbs, essentially. But I do that very short term, generally one to three weeks, um, depending on the person's level of bloating. Um, and then move to the next phase where they can reintroduce some of that stuff. Bananas, everybody wants to eat bananas. Banana is one of the biggest things that mm. I see when people have SIBO. They eat them because they feel good on them, but they don't um, understand that that's one of the things really causing their um, symptoms. So bananas is a really big one for me. Uh, but I've had literally young girls in their 20s come in and sit down and go, I've been on a really restricted diet. I've been hammered with um, antimicrobials, herbal ones. I've been to an integrative doctor and they've given me her strong, strong herbal mixes. They've got mental health issues on top mm. of it. Um, if you give me, if you make me do that, I will um, not cope very well. And so I just basically say, no, you can eat whatever you like. And then we will manage around that. And I've had extraordinary success with people um, getting rid of their SIBO, we do do antimicrobials, but it's about building them up first yep. rather than hitting them with yep. antimicrobials because I think that's it's important to have your head in the right space to be able to do it. Yeah, and, and I think it's problematic when it's not. And the other thing I see is practitioners or clients who have been to other practitioners and they've been again hammered with berberine containing herbs, which is not necessarily a good thing. Um, and then their SIBO's gone when they retest, the SIBO's gone, but they've got dysbiosis of the large bowel and yep. they've still got bloating and they're still full of gas and they still can't go to the and bathroom. And that's what I see too. Yeah, which yeah. is frustrating. Frustrating yep. for them and frustrating for us when we see that. Yeah, and then we get a whole host of, of other issues. Um, when sort of looking at SIBO, is there a strong connection with SIBO and say, increased gut permeability? Yes. Mm. There's lots of conditions associated with um, SIBO. So um, fibromyalgia, uh, chronic constipation, rheumatoid arthritis, celiac disease, acid reflux, rosacea, yep. um, restless legs, uh, hypothyroidism, scleroderma, all of those sorts of things, um, diverticulitis and leaky gut. Yeah. So huge. And, and they can go on to cause things like joint pain, food sensitivities, um, burping and acid reflux, mm. bloating and gas. What else? Abdominal cramping. You know, so they're some of the really big symptoms that people see. And sometimes it's just brain fog. People get so fogged in their brain Absolutely. they can't think straight. So. But you could have SIBO and not necessarily have the digestive issues. It could be... Could you have SIBO and say increased gut permeability, but somebody may find that they have more joint issues, for instance? Possibly. Or, yeah. Um, I do see a correlation with gut mostly, um, but I often get people coming to me, and this is really interesting, with parasites like Blastocystis hominis mm. and Dientamoeba, and they say this is what's causing it, but when you get down to it, it's actually not those parasites, because I find most people, if their diet's reasonably good, can live with those parasites, but it's actually SIBO that's their problem. Yes. So, and once you fix the SIBO, that tends to help, um, you know, helps get rid of their symptoms and they can live with that parasite quite happily, you know, so I'm not one for bombing par um, parasites either. I agree with either. you. I agree with you. I think they've been around thousands yeah. of years before us and they're they little friends sometimes. Oh, I mean, they can be really bad ones, but yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It's about getting the body back into balance. into balance mm -hmm. and into harmony. So if you could give just some basic tips 
when it comes to treating SIBO, obviously we would recommend somebody to go and see a practitioner such as yourself that really has a lot of experience in treating SIBO. Um, and I always think that, <clears throat> excuse me, if somebody has suffered with that particular condition, mm. you know, if you had mm. have had mm. SIBO yourself, you're a lot more um, empathetic to, to what that person is going Correct. through and in a way, know even more how to yeah. how to treat that yeah. so are there some simple tips that you could share with us you know what are the top three things you would do when when treating SIBO look I think probably the first thing would be to reduce the fermentable carbohydrates yeah. so the rice the, the potatoes the sweet potatoes all of those things rice noodles all of that to start with beans and legumes or get rid of all of those to start with. Um, there are some foods that you can have often, tomatoes, um, cucumber, lettuce, radish, there's a whole eggplant, there's a whole plethora of food you can eat all the time. Um, so I think it's worthwhile doing that till you, your symptoms reduce, reduce your fruit intake because high in sugar feeds that bacteria, but only for a small time, not forever. You know, like I see people come in and go, oh no, I just don't eat fruit. Um, oh, no. So, which to me is crackers because all those beautiful colors in those foods feed our gut bacteria and you really want those. Um, so that would be the first one. The second one would be to make sure that your lifestyle is, um, that you're doing something fun for yourself. Like I can sit for 20 minutes and wait for somebody to answer the question, what do you do for fun? That's not living. We're here to have fun. I, I couldn't agree with you more. On so that, point. that one I think is really important. And if you have any trauma um, from your past or um, f from your present that you haven't dealt with, deal with that because people I see that don't get better are generally, they, they can do the diet to a T, they can do everything right and they still don't get better, but they haven't dealt with the emotional stuff that's holding on to them in their body. And that makes a huge impact. And I see that a little bit. That, that's a whole other area it is. that I'd like to discuss um, at some point on another podcast because you've got the whole brain-gut mm. um, connection, but then you can take it even deeper to mm. almost an energetic, mm. you know, going into what Eastern medicine does and, and looking at how the body can actually hold on to emotion. Yeah. Yeah. And I do believe that if we don't deal with emotions, that we do suppress them and that they do... Um, are held within the body and, yeah. and can affect us I agree. quite and can lead to disease and there's a fabulous author named Gabor Mate um, G-A-B-O-R is his first name he has a book um, called When the Body Says No and it's about people who cared for other people who are in abusive relationships that go on to get um, breast cancer or brain cancer or things like that and it talks about that those people then go through their emotions and and try and answer the question well why did I get cancer mm. and a lot of them come up to saying well I let people treat me like trash and I've held all these emotions when I should have been getting them out so it's a fascinating book wow really so, yeah, interesting really yeah good. there can be a lot of resentment and yeah, guilt and all those and things. things build up and the body takes them on board um, and we don't think that but it certainly does oh and once you I'm have sure that happening do. we change the way our body is physiologically you know we know that happens over and over so mm. uh, it's just being aware of that. So they're, they're probably my three biggest things. I think you've got to do the combination of all three to get a really good balance. And if you have had such a lot of experience with SIBO patients, how long, and I know it's going to be mm. different for everybody, but how long do you think you would start to see an improvement? 
Well, that's it is variable. Know, it is. And I'll tell you a story. I had a girl come to me from America. She, um, we did Skype consultations. So she'd seen 11 practitioners mm. in the States. She was $200,000 in debt. Mm. She was 20 years old. She'd gone from 65 kilos down to like she was 45 kilos. Her mother was concerned she was going to die. So she'd had 11 rounds of rifaximin. Um, and she would go to the bathroom 20 times and what a day. Is that? Can so rifaximins are the drug of choice for SIBO, yep. um, basically. So in America, it's quite costly. So she did that um, 11 times with a couple of different doctors hoping that they would get a different 11 result. Times. Yeah, so which was frightening to me. So at which point did they go, well, that's not working? Um, so basically, she followed the SIBO diet with me and we moved through it pretty quickly but she what really worked for her so she went from going to the bathroom 20 times a day in the first week to six she must have been so depleted depleted she was skeletal um she's frighteningly skeletal mm. um and along with that obviously goes there's a lot of anxiety mm. there's a lot of mental mm. anguish um she would always ring me and say i need an appointment and she would be crying i'm never going to get better and i said stick with it you'll get there and so what happened was after the first week she'd gone from 20 bowel movements a day to six by the end of um probably three months she was down to three and what was really great about mary was that she uh had diversity so one of the big things is eat lots of different colors even though she was really restricted to start with she made she meal prepped and she um, made sure she had different colored fruit and vegetables at every meal um, in the second part fruit but mostly vegetables to start with she was right on top of that um, and so that really made a difference for her she took the supplement in a really um, great regime she never missed um, now I'm happy to say so it took her about 18 months in total because she had SIBO and she had um, large bowel issues as well so it took her about 18 months to get back of it but she didn't you know she would ring and say I've never I'm never going to get better it's never going to happen for me um, and she became she worked in a restaurant of a night time and she became very fearful of food mm. she said I'll, I'll never be able to eat out again I said you will you will you will I'll never be able to go away on holidays with my fiance yes you will so she's just come back from the Bahamas um, and she sent me a nice note saying I never thought I would get here so that's pretty terrific that you know by food and that supplementation and I did do antimicrobials with her, but it was a long time before we mm. got to them. Mm. Um, we did lots of food and lots of building up first before we got to that. So I think there's more than it's one way to do story. it. And so, you know, gut issues can be so debilitating, debilitating. for people. You know, yeah. as you said, eating yeah. out in restaurants, yeah. going away. She couldn't even exercise. Yeah. She couldn't do anything she loved to do. So it was really, it was really, um, for, for her age, it was really putting, um, a lot of pressure on her you know she said I don't want to start a married life under this sort of um, you know heaviness and, and and frustration she said it will cause us to have issues in our relationship so it was a really great story and when you say about the importance of diversity and you know that I'm all about diversity mm. as well and one of the things I'm always doing on Instagram is you know eat more mm. <laughs> eat more colors and eat more veggies and try and get as many um, different types of fruits and vegetables because we know you know plant-based um, nutrition and getting that variety is so important and getting that diversity of food that we eat is important for the diversity of the, mm. the gut microbes yep. I agree so we know that we've got a thousand um, gut bugs that have been um, found we know between you and I we have between 140 and 150 each we know that they're fed through all those colors 
Um, and there's an, been an interesting study done, and for all the people who don't like fruit and vegetables, there's been a really interesting study done that the more you eat um, fruit and vegetables, um, the phytochemicals in fruit and yes. vegetables give you an attractive glow. So you actually look more attractive to other people. I wonder who funded that study, but I think it's fantastic. I always tell people if you eat more vegetables, you'll, look, you'll get better looking. Well, I'm all about that. That's, <laughs> what, you know, that's what I'm all about, the skin and, and eating the, the fruit and vegetables. But I didn't know there was actually a study yeah, on yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense because you do see it in the skin. Yeah. And what is interesting is how quickly we can change mm. the gut bacteria by mm. diet. Yep, I'd agree. So the, the research says three days yep. that you can make a difference if you're on a junk food diet. You yep. can go um, three days the other way. It, it takes a lot longer than that. Um, one of the problems with SIBO, I haven't seen it so much, but I've had the odd person that's relapsed. So the, the people who founded SIBO and all about that, um, like Alison C. Becker and Dr. Pimentel, they talk about SIBO relapses in two weeks, two months, and two years. That that's their sort of track record. So, and that's whether maybe people at the two-year mark go, okay, I'm just going to eat whatever I like now, and their gut's not quite back to where it should be. So, I, I think gut healing in itself is a lot longer than the initial. Yes. Yes, I feel better. I think it's a long-term project. You know, like I, I would say, I've probably been working on mine for the last fifteen years, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm still not there yet. So I think, and, and I'm really good with fruit and vegetables. So I think it takes a long time to um, get to the real good balance that you want. Absolutely, and there's so many different. I mean, you've you've got to balance the um, bacteria and get that mm. under control, but then it's the health of the, um, you know, the whole of the gut and the cells in the gut. So we've we've got to look at that, and um, you know the permeability mm. of, of the cells as well. So I think it you know, it will be different for, for everyone, but that's a really great story that yeah. you that you shared. Very, very interesting. So when somebody, you know, gets better, do you find that they can pretty much go back to, to eating whatever they like or are there particular foods that they should stay away from I mean obviously sort of the really refined carbohydrates and starchy foods and if they're going to go back to having a junk food diet Mm. that's that's you know a no-brainer I guess but what about healthy foods can they go back to maybe say bananas with setting them off would they be able to go back into that yes I always get people to do bananas and cherries last because they seem to be the two that are Mm. most problematic and start off by eating a smaller amount rather than a larger amount the answer is yes, I think they can go back to eating most things that would be part of a healthy diet, not necessarily um, heavy pastas, heavy carbohydrates sort of meals, but most things they should be able to go back to. Some people, um, garlic and onion are never going to be in their repertoire because their gut just can't yeah. tolerate it. No matter how much you're healing, that must be their weak point. They just can't get um, over that hump. So for those people, avoid it, you know. Um, but try, I say to people, when, especially when they've been um, on a low FODMAP or a restrictive diet for a long time, you are going to get bloating. You are yes. going to get pain initially to start with because you're feeding bacteria that's been starving essentially. So people are always worried about that. Work through it. You shouldn't be in excruciating pain, but certainly you will get some level of bloating. And the other thing... And a bit of gas as well. Uh, absolutely a yeah. bit of gas. Uh, a lot of gas, probably. <laughs> um, so one of the things I say to people is don't be hard on yourself. Don't go, oh my God, I'm, I've got to stop now. 
persevere but don't be in incredible amounts of pain either Mm. it's going to take your body a while to adjust to it and i think that's important to know because i you know some people will say to me i can't eat beans or i can't eat you know cauliflower or a certain vegetable because it gives me wind and i think it's important as you've just said to know the difference between what is not normal and what is normal because some people will just go and automatically cut foods out and avoid them when they may not need to. Can I just talk about farts for five minutes? Because I love talking about farts. (laughs) So a lot of people come to me and they say, I fart excessively. And I say to them, well, tell me what that looks like. What is excessively? Um, So, but mostly we should fart between seven and 22 times a day. Allegedly, women fart more than men, but I think a man did really? that study. I don't think it's true. Um, <laughs> oh, so, certainly so, not. But when you talk to people and say, well, would you fart more than that? And they go, no, I don't really fart more than that. So then it's not excessive. Um, and beans, beans are a big one I hear too. I can't eat beans because they make mm. me fart. Well, they're mm. feeding your gut bacteria. They're exactly. supposed to make you exactly. fart. Um, preparation also, yep. you know, beans are full of oligosaccharides. So it depends on how you're um, prepping them to start with. So if you're doing it yourself, use acidulated water, with a, you know, put your beans in water with a bit of lemon juice, let them soak overnight, tip that water off and then cook them in fresh water so you're not having all those oligosaccharides go into your food because they will cause you gas. Tin beans also, when they make tin beans, um, they put the, tin, the, the beans into the tin, they seal the tin and they pressure cook it. So all that stuff that makes you fart, that comes out when it's cooked, is in the can. So if you're going to eat tin beans, you need to strain them and wash them before you then cook them because that will reduce a lot of that oligosaccharide that's on them. So I think that's really important for people to know. And lots of people go, oh no, I'm just not going to eat them because they make me fart. Farting's good, people. Yeah, I hear that so many times. You know, we know from the studies that beans and legumes, you know, they are so good for our houses. They really are in in so many different ways. And so um, even if you look at, say, the blue zones, you know, one common thing that they all eat is is legumes yeah. so they they are so so good for mm. us so I, I think that was a really good point to to clarify and that um you know having a bit of wind can be normal but saying that what if you don't fart then that's not normal either not, is it no because that means your gut bacteria is not getting fed so if you're eating a diet that's diverse in the fruit and vegetables we talk about you should be having gas that's part of life um, a good life for your gut bacteria and for you. So then you need to look at your diet and I would suggest you keep a little diet diary for a couple of days and write down. Um, I have a, a little thing where I help people trip over the truth um, with their diet. So I get them to write a little food diary for three days. And it's really important to, when you list what you're eating, don't just say chicken and salad, list out the fruit and vegetable yes. that you're eating so you can see them. And then I get them to colour in the colours because we know there's six colours that really feed our gut bacteria. So it's blue, red, purple, orange, yellow, green. Green. Um, so they're the colours that we know. So when people, so you should be eating those six colours every day. So when people circle, they can quite clearly see that they're not probably including all those foods. So once you see that, you can't unsee that. I, I love that. And I, I know probably the food that maybe I notice that I don't eat enough. It's yellow. Yeah, yeah, which it's, most people yeah, would. And so then in, in, in a sub-context of that, I say then you need to be eating foods that are 
purple and red mm. uh, and blue are fantastic because they and green because they've got lots of polyphenols and they supercharge the gut bacteria Absolutely. so we know that and that's an important aspect too to improve your immune system so if your immune system's not working that great look at those vegetables you're eating and then see how they go and they can have you know anti-inflammatory effects as well so it all comes back to having more more plants in the diet and i think it was a recent study that said we should be having a minimum of 30 different plant-based foods Mm. a week and i know you like to say 40 and often i do because if you say 30 people will go for 20. um but to get that diversity so it's different plant-based foods which will be fruit veg whole grains Mm. um even nuts and seeds Mm. to to really make sure that we are getting that diversity and getting the phytonutrients and and the prebiotics in there um to really help to support gut health yeah no i totally agree and I think it's important. One thing to remember, though, if you're including 40 fruit and vegetables yes. in your diet, don't do it all at yes, once. Yes, exactly. Very good point. Do that. <laughs> don't do that. And unfortunately, we do live in a society where we think if a little bit is good, then more must be better. And, and we can be very extreme, yeah. all or nothing. Yeah. So, you know, for anyone listening that maybe is only having one or two vegetables a week, absolutely, you've got to build it in mm. slowly and gradually rather than go all or nothing. Um, because you are going to notice some side effects you by will. doing that. And, and the thing that's just come up recently around disease is for women, we should be eating 28 grams of fiber a day. For men, it should be 34 grams of fiber. Uh, most people that I see, lucky to hit 15. Yeah. So it, it really is a problem. Um, I think the stats are 0.5% of children are eating the recommended da- daily dose of their five and two. Mm. You know, that's frightening. That that you know will create a whole legacy of children who are going to be diseased long before that they're supposed to be i know you know it, it breaks my heart actually and that's one thing that unfortunately fiber isn't a glamorous topic to talk about and when you say to people are you having enough fiber somehow people don't that they think oh maybe it's going to help with the bowels and being more regular but they don't realize how important fiber is to protect from disease mm. No, I'd agree. So that. I think, yeah, go the fibre, go, yeah. go the fruit. And do the, fr- f- do the food diary. It really is opening your eyes. Yes. I did one because I, I, love food I do diaries. one for mine and with the little colouring pencils to show clients. And when I first did it, I was like, I had a lot of fruit and vegetables, but gee, there's some gaps in there that I could be yeah. kicking a hole in. Um, so do that and you'll really notice a difference. I think that's a great point. It's something that I do a lot. I love food diaries because quite often when you talk to people and say, you know, what's your diet like? I find 99% of people say, oh yeah, it's good. I agree. And I think it's good even as professionals to do it mm. because you can easily fall into a rut. And as I said, you know, the other day I realized, oh wow, I'm, I haven't had many, many yellow veggies mm. this week. They've been sort of been a little bit neglected all the the yellow and orange veggies so um i'm consciously getting getting more of that so i think for everyone it it can be really beneficial yeah and i think especially now with the popularity of keto and paleo and Mm. all those sorts of diets they really are restrictive to you know I, i personally think they're not the greatest things for gut health um, I think they've been shown not to be yeah, the best. And I, and I think that people, if, the, if you're going to go down that pathway, I'm okay with that. But really make sure you've got the right sort of mix of diverse veggies and fruit in there. Don't, you know, I see so many people who are on those diets and then go, I don't eat fruit ever. And I just think, why? Fruit is so delicious. I don't understand. 
Um, so that's quite frustrating for me as a practitioner. And just sort of before we finish up, I, what, what flabbergasts me is recently, a few years back in Sydney, there was a recurrence in children of scurvy. Mm. Um, and the reasoning behind that, and for those that don't know, scurvy is a vitamin C deficiency. deficiency. And the reason behind that um, is, you know, mums were frightened of the sugar content mm. in fruit and weren't giving their children fruit. They were looking at it as lollies. So I think, you know, social media has a lot to answer for. You know, it's really important that we share the right message on, on healthy eating. Fruit and veggies are good. Mm. Um, and it's about getting, getting the right diet. So Ange, if anyone has got digestive issues or would like more help with their diet, how do they find you? So I'm on all social media channels at Digestive Detective. It's an easy one. Yep. Um, and I offer a free 15 minute consultation to anybody who wants to ring up and I will always give you one next step um, when I talk to you. It's not about solving your issues, but it's about seeing if we can work together and I will give you a band-aid solution that will get you going until you can see a practitioner. It doesn't necessarily have to be me, but a practitioner. Um, so they're the two best ways and or at my website at www.digestivedetective.com.au. Fantastic. And where is your clinic based? You... In, in Crow's Nest, yes. but I do work all over the world. I've got clients in Kuwait and uh, America and places like that through Zoom. So Fantastic. So it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you are. They can come and, yeah, come and see you. It's easy. Well, thank you for today, Anne. You've been a wealth of information and provided some very valuable advice. And I know there are a lot of people out there suffering with digestive issues, mm. IBS, and I know SIBO is, is a big thing. So thank you for sharing your wealth of knowledge with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Fiona.